This morning's text is once again from Isaiah chapter 9. This is verse 6. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our kids can be dismissed. There's programming down the hall for them. And for the rest of you, thank you so much for being here at the 9 o'clock service at Community Christian Church. Somewhere in the corners of the history of the company Amazon, there was a meeting. And at that meeting, Amazon executives or project managers or maybe even interns, they sat around a table with a task. They were to give a name to this new technology that you can command with just your voice. And so I'm sure that as they discussed around the table, all kinds of names were suggested. Maybe it was technical at first. Uh, Computer, what's the temperature outside, right? Maybe it was uh, digital assistant, what time is my doctor's appointment? But around the table, there must have been a feeling that this new kind of technology could be more personal. So maybe a personal name, Ginger, now that's obscure, right? Mary, now it's too common. Karen, a little too much baggage with that one right now. Finally, somebody said, Alexa. And everybody was said, that's it. And the rest was history. And everyone was happy, except for all of the people named Alexa. There are 130,000 Alexas in the U.S. right now. In the year 2015 alone, over 6,000 girls were named Alexa, and that was the very year that Amazon's Alexa was introduced and began to gain traction. And so because of uh, Alexa and the popularity of the Amazon product, the name Alexa plummeted. And you can see why nobody wants to be Alexa anymore. Ask anybody with the name Alexa how they feel about the digital version of themselves, and it's not good. Uh, They've heard all the jokes including, uh, oh, your name's Alexa. Alexa, tell me a joke, right? Uh, One real-life Alexa was asked about her name, and she said that she had a co-worker at her place of work that thought it was funny just to call her Siri instead of Alexa. Now, that is pretty funny, okay? But, But what she needed to respond with was, hmm, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. If you know, you know. The time, uh, the name Alexa has become so attached to this idea of servitude that that a lot of human Alexas have even begun to use other names. Uh, Some of them shorten their names and just go by Lex so that they can distance themselves from this Amazon product. Uh, One Lex said that whenever she she heard the name Alexa, she would tense up because Alexa means somebody wants something. Alexa... Turn the music up. Alexa, remind me I need eggs at the store. Alexa, set the timer for 10 minutes. Alexa, make the baby stop crying. Alexa, pay my rent, right? Lex despised the name Alexa, and so she changed it, and so have a lot of others. Why? Because there is an agenda attached to this name, Alexa. Now, we're, in, we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9, and we're in a series called Hope Has a Name, and uh, the context that we talked about last week is that there's a a deep gloom 
that has been thrust upon the land so that all of the people in that day are walking in darkness. And, and we do too. They're afraid. They're afraid of, at the end of the day, death. They are literally, Isaiah says, living in the land of the shadow of death. They are in death, darkness, with no hope. And here Isaiah comes along, his prop, God's prophet, and writes God's word to these people that gives them hope. And the message is that these people who are walking through the land of deep darkness will get a great light, that they will see it, it will shine on them, and, and this hope that shows up as a light is actually a child who will be born, a son who will be given, and this child, this hope, has a name, and the name is not Alexa, <laughs> right? Now, isn't the Alexa thing kind of crazy? I mean, like around that table, when everybody at Amazon heard the name Alexa and they all thought, oh, that's it, that's it, yeah, that, that's, 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 we don't have to do this anymore, that, that's it. To think that there's not one person around that table in that meeting that was like, well, wait a minute, guys, you know, I mean, people kind of use that name already. Like, are we going to cause problems with this? Like, not one person thought of that. In Isaiah chapter 9, hope has a name, and it's not Alexa, but it does have an identity. Absolutely it does. Each one of these names that we look at, that we're looking at in this series, gives the hope to come, the Messiah to come, his marching orders. It gives us, who are trying to figure out who the Messiah is, it gives us actually things that we can look for. And this, this hope to come is going to do certain things, going to be about certain things. And when you see all of these names played out in the life of one person on the earth, then you will know that the light has come, that you are no longer walking in darkness. You'll know the Messiah by his agenda, and his agenda comes right out of his name. Last week, we talked about uh, the first name, or the first two names, if you were here and, uh, and remember that. Ra last week we talked about wonderful, the hope that will, will be a son given. He will be God himself. And that, that Messiah to come, this hope to come, will extract nothing but wonder from people who watch him live life. They will, they will stand back and they will say, wow, we've never seen any person like this ever and his agenda is to awaken wonder in people because he is God himself and then we also talked about the name counselor that this hope to come it will be a child born he'll be one of us he'll be human just like us and so he'll know us completely he will experience everything that we experience and because he experiences everything that we experience, he'll be in a unique position as both God and man to give us exactly what we need. And so this wonderful counselor becomes the agenda of the Messiah who we know is Jesus. Now today we're going to uh, tackle two more names that will tell us an awful lot about this Jesus the Messiah to come, and his agenda here on the earth. These names tell us exactly what Jesus came to the earth to do and to accomplish. Let's start. This first one we'll tackle today is mighty God. What does it say? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. 
Now, at first glance, this uh, phrase, mighty God, seems kind of like wonderful that we talked about last week. It seems kind of superfluous, like uh, he's mighty God. It's a kind of a placeholder, but that's not the case. Just like wonderful, this word mighty has purpose. He will be called the mighty God. And mighty God is composed of a couple of Hebrew words. Number one is El. Um, it's different from Elohim. Elohim is used other places in the in the Old Testament scriptures and scriptures and, and to mean uh, other other things besides just God Himself. But El is a word in Scripture that is only ever applied to Jehovah God Himself, the God of the Old Testament. El being used for this human child, then understand what that means. This human child who is born unto us and like us in every way. What does it tell us? It tells us that he will also have a divine character. He will be God himself. He is ineffably, expressibly, indescribably deity. He's God. And then the second word in mighty God is Gabor, and it means hero. It means champion. It means that this is the knight in shining armor that, that comes sweeping in to save the day. It's the one who faces the overwhelming odds and saves the town, saves all the people, saves all of his friends. Uh, so if you were watching Monday or Thursday night football, this is Baker Mayfield. That's what this is. Uh, it, it, what Baker did at the end of that game is what this word means, hero. And so this is the, no, no sports fans apparently in the crowd? Nobody watched this game Thursday? Nobody? Okay, all right. So this is the one and only God who is also the hero. He is victorious. He defeats all his enemies. He's the divine warrior. He's the child who will be born that will be called mighty God. So John Calvin is commenting on this title, Mighty God, and he said this. If, if he is the mighty God and the strong God, then what must he use his strength for? That's a really good question. If he's the hero come to save the day, then what, what's he fighting for that's worth putting on the superhero cape, right? Here's what Calvin says. He uses his heroics to defend against our enemies, the enemies of Satan and sin and death. These are enemies that are too powerful for us to deal with on our own. We need him. And so he comes in and saves the day against the enemies that attack. He is the mighty God, the divine hero who saves you. The battle against the enemies of this life that you have in this life has already been fought and he has already won. Now, as I was studying this last week, um, both of the titles today kind of pointed me uh, to separate lines from Psalm 23. Uh, Psalm 23 is... Uh, a text that's so familiar to us that, that we kind of just pass right over what it is really saying. I mean, you, you hear it and you know, and you think, oh, I've heard that before. I know that, you know, I, as we're going through Psalm 23. But embedded in Psalm 23 are the eight covenantal names of God. And one of them is Jehovah Niti. It means that, that God is my banner of victory. That's what it means. It means that God has come and fought for us and won the battle. And it's the very same idea as mighty God, that title that Isaiah gives to the Messiah to come in Isaiah chapter 9. And in Psalm 23, here's this 
familiar lines from where this name is found. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Ever heard that line before? Every hand should go up. Come on. Yeah, you've heard that line before, right? It's a wonderful line. And maybe you've never thought that line through. What does it mean? God prepares a table for me. Okay, so that means I'm sitting down at a feast, right? All the foods imaginable, all the favorite ones, all the great ones, and God prepares this table for me. And God does that at the very same time. He invites me to sit down at the very same time that my enemies are up in my face, right? They're wanting to pick a fight. And God tells me to sit down and enjoy a meal. How does that work? Here's the answer. Jesus is the mighty God. That's how it works. His agenda is to swoop in and say, you take care of that brisket and I will take care of the bad guy. That's this line. That's what it means. So let me, let me put this another way. Nobody has yet, to my knowledge, had the audacity in any sport that I'm aware of to declare victory or to grab the trophy or to fashion the the ring and put it on their finger and sing, I am the champion, right, before the game has ever been played. Nobody raises the NCAA uh, championship banner before the tournament starts. Nobody has the Super Bowl parade before the Super Bowl. Nobody has ever had their day with the Stanley Cup and eaten Cheerios out of it before that hockey series has even started. Even with all of the great egos in in the realm of sports, I've still never seen that. But here, that's exactly what Jesus does. He comes out in front of the enemy and he raises his banner and he says, I've already won. I'm already the champion. I'm on the parade right, route right now as we speak. Nothing you can do about that. And the message to the enemy is, you are already defeated. You're done. Jesus goes ahead of us in the fight, and he wins. The enemy doesn't even realize yet that he's lost. And so, so what is there for us to do in this bizarre position where Jesus has already won the fight? Here it is. Nothing but to celebrate. That's our job. That's the line. To sit down at the table and celebrate. That's astounding. That's humbling. He is Jehovah Nissi. He's the mighty God who has won the battle. And now we get to celebrate. We get to sit at the table and eat chips and guac and just chill. And yes, if God is preparing the table, there will be espinaca. That's how that works. The mighty God gives us gives Jesus his agenda, and his agenda is to be the divine hero that saves us. Let's do the next one. Everlasting Father. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Again, we have uh, two words that make up this title. They are both equally important. First, uh, let's deal with Father. Um, You know what a father is, right? Father is a title of love and respect in this text. It, it indicates the kind of love and care that only a father can give. But, but also, father has another angle here, because among the Jews, the word father can, could also mean originator. 
or sword. Okay, so an example of this uh, is when Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 44, is talking about Satan, and he says Satan is called the father of lies, right? It means that Satan is the source of lies, that he's the originator of lies. And so here, father can mean that same thing, that he is the source and the originator. Well, of what? Well, there's the second word, everlasting. Now, that's not a hard word, right? It means forever and ever and ever. It means never-ending. It means living forever and ever with no end for eternity. And so put those two kind of ideas together, and we have two really clear ways to communicate this title of the Messiah to come that is Jesus. One is this, that he is the father of eternity. That's a better translation than everlasting father, actually. It's that he is the father of eternity. It means that he's the source of eternity. He's the originator of eternity. If you are looking for anything that in this life that will last forever, it will only be found in Jesus. That's a whole sermon in itself. And maybe it's a line that you should write down or at least commit to memory and chew on this week. If you're looking for anything that will last forever, it will only be found in Jesus. If you're looking for anything that will last forever, it will only be found in Jesus. Nothing lasts forever except what the Father of forever made possible to last forever. Here's a second way that we can communicate this title of Jesus. That not only is he the Father of eternity, but he's the Father in eternity. That God is a loving and caring and instructing Father. He's intimately relating to us and guiding us and providing for our needs. He's a Father, kind of like your earthly Father, but way better. Because some of you in the room know this already, and, and you've gone through it. You're, you know that your earthly Father won't be around forever. He just won't. His love and care and guidance comes to an end at some point. For some of us in the room, it came to an end because dad just decided that it would come to an end. And he walked away. For others of us, it was because dad got old or dad got sick or something happened to dad and death came. But one way or another, at some point, our earthly fathers at some point along the line, we will all be fatherless. And Jesus is the father to the fatherless. Why? Because he's eternal. He gives forever. Jesus remains our father to all eternity. He's the father who loves us endlessly because he has no end. Now, there's a couple of implications of this title, Father of Eternity. Here's the first one. He's a teacher. Oh, my. If, if mighty God means that Jesus comes and saves you, then everlasting Father means that he comes in and he teaches you. He teaches you. In John chapter 10, Jesus frames up this idea with a picture of sheep. And he says that we are all sheep and that he is the shepherd. And so if we are all sheep, then that means uh, sheep have enemies, right? The enemies uh, are wolves and maybe coyotes and maybe even thieves who want to come into the sheep pen and steal sheep away from the shepherd that they belong to. 
We have all of those enemies because we are sheep. Now look what Jesus says. He says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Do you know what he's saying there? It means that Jesus, on one hand, is your hero who has come in to fight for you. He's won the fight over sin and death and Satan. He has saved you. He's the mighty God. But it also means that his effort does not stop there. He not only fights to save you, but he also fights to sustain you. He's already done everything he could possibly do to keep you in his flock and a part of God's family. Sin and death and Satan are bound up because the price has already been paid on the cross. You are kept in God's family by the blood of Christ. Now, the, in Psalm 23, the, the name of God that gets to this idea is Jehovah Shammah. And it's another one of the eight covenantal names of God. And it means, it's very simple, the God who is there, capital T-H-E-R-E, that's God's name. And here's the line where it pops up. David writes this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now let's try this again. Who's heard that line? Oh, very good. Wonderful. Awesome. In that line, what David is doing is he's looking back on his life, and he's seeing clearly that God has led him in every step along the way, that he is there. He's there. He is Jehovah Shammah. He's always by your side. There's no place you can go where God isn't there. And David realized that with God being a God who is always there, then even walking through the valley of the shadow of death was possible. God is a shepherd that will never leave you alone on the dangerous paths that you have to go down. His rod is there to keep you from falling off a cliff. His staff is what he uses to, to beat down anyone who jumps out from the shadows to try to attack you. Whatever the path brings, God is there. That's his name. There is his name. And the reason he is there is to keep you. To keep you. So that we get to li live life with hope and assurance, knowing that we serve the Father of Eternity who is there and who will always be there to keep us on the path. One of the implications of this title, Father of Eternity, is that he keeps you. Here's another one, that he never forgets you. Everlasting father means he will never forget you. If Jesus is the father of eternity, then he is everlasting, right? We, we covered this, he will never die. And so let's do some easy logic here. If Jesus is the God who will never die and he is a father, then he has children, right? So ipso facto, if he will never die, then neither will his children. The father will keep us in his love and life forever. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was commenting on this title of everlasting father, and he, he said this, but 
hears it, be taught. He neither himself dies nor becomes childless. He does not lose his children because he is the author of eternal history. Now let's go one step further than that. If Jesus is the loving, caring father of eternity who never dies and he has children and they never die and he keeps us in his love forever, what does that mean? It means we'll never see death. Never. Marcus Aurelius in his meditations has this line, soon you will have forgotten everything. Soon everybody will have forgotten you. And without God in the picture, that's true. You will be forgotten. I want to do. I want you to do a little quick exercise in your head. Uh, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you three seconds. I'll count it down. I want you to name a first name. Will do. I want you to name your great great grandparents in your head. Three, two, one, and time's up. Could you do it? Some of you probably can, but most of us. And even if you could name them, here's the million-dollar question. Do you know them? Do you know your great-great-grandparents? Do you know what their favorite food was? Do you know where they worked? Do you know what size shoe they wore? And is not knowing those things something that's keeping you up at night? Answer, no. None of us are glued to sleep over that. Why? Because everybody will be forgotten eventually. All it will take is for that first great-great-grandkid to come down the line. It'll probably happen just a decade or two after you kick the bucket. And like it or not, even if they are given your name to wear as as their own, you will be forgotten about. Maybe you'll end up as a picture on the wall somewhere, but you will not be known other than by your face. And do you see what the name Father of Eternity means? It means that God is not a concept, that he's a person. He's a person that wants to be close to you. He wants to know you, and he will never die. That means he will always know you, and you will never be forgotten. But it gets even better than that, because now those great, great, greats that you don't know, because he's the Father of Eternity, You'll have all the time in the world to get to know them. And those great-great-grandchildren, we'll be able to hang out with them. And we'll be able to know people we never knew, long-forgotten family. And we'll have forever, not just to learn their names or somebody else to learn our name, but to know us through and through. He is the father of eternity, and so you will never be forgotten by him, and you will never be forgotten by those who are in him. The everlasting father gives Jesus his agenda in the new script to love us anyway, to love us anyway. Now, in every one of these titles that we'll be going through and uh, we'll end with Prince of Peace next week, um, in every one of these titles, we see the agenda of Jesus. The agenda is in his name. His name will be called Wonderful. And so this hope to come, this God uh, to, that is God himself, Jesus the Messiah, will come and he should, when he comes, he's, he should be able to do God-like things. 
His name will be called Counselor. This hope to come, the Messiah, will be a man just like us. And so he should be able to help us in our needs. His name will be Mighty God. This hope to come, this Messiah to come, will be the divine hero that saves us from all of our enemies. He will be called Everlasting Father. This hope to come, the Messiah to come, is to come and love us endlessly. And then we'll peek at next week, just in a line here, his name will be called Prince of Peace. And so this hope to come is to come to the earth and do the work to restore us back to God. We were God's enemies, and he's going to make peace between us and God. Now, 740 years after these lines are written that are on the screen, a baby is born to a virgin and named Jesus. And he grows up, and he lives a perfectly righteous life, and he does miracles that are witnessed by a lot of people that only God can do, and he cares for the sick and the diseased and the hurting, and then he takes that perfect life, and he dies on a cross as a sacrifice for the sin of all mankind for all eternity, and and when he died, he really didn't die, and he is alive to this day and for eternity to come. So here's the question. How did Jesus do with the agenda that was given to him in Isaiah 740 years before he was born? How do you do that? There are critics who look at this passage. And when they do, they try to discredit these names. And here's how they do it. They say that Isaiah didn't come up with these names at all. That Isaiah actually lifted these names. He he borrowed the titles from from other places and other people that they belong to. And here's where they point. It seems that in Egypt, in the tombs of the Pharaohs, these kind of titles have been found. Pharaohs were entombed with the equivalent of mighty God and eternal father, inscribed in the stone in their elaborate tombs. And so the critics say, see, he just stole them. These names don't mean much. They're certainly not prophecy. Isaiah hijacked them. That's what the critics What's interesting to me, and should be very obvious, is that these critics are seeing the trees but missing the forest. Maybe, maybe these titles are inscribed on the tombs of the Pharaohs. Maybe, just like the name Alexa, they were borrowed. But even if that's true, don't you see it? The titles are inscribed in the tombs of dead men. They were given to Egyptian rulers who died and are buried and are still there. We know they're still there because we've been digging them all up. How are you a really mighty God who saves if you can't save yourself from death? How are you the eternal father if you're still in a sarcophagus? They're dead. So even if these titles were given to the pharaohs first, it means nothing because they were epic failures at living out the agenda that is in these names. Here's what I mean. These titles were given to the Messiah to come. Hope has a name. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the names became his agenda. And so the question is, how did Jesus do? Pharaohs are still 
in their tomb. Jesus walked out of there. That's how he did it. He ripped out the name Jesus Christ. Now the cool thing, and this is the way we'll end, is that Jesus is given an agenda in these names, but we are too. We are given our agenda for life in these names. They instruct Jesus and they instruct us as well because Jesus Christ is the wonderful counselor. We talked this last about this last week. The God who cares, our agenda is to follow him. We follow him. Because Jesus Christ is the mighty God, the divine hero that has come to save us, our agenda is to stand in him. He has already done all of the work required for your salvation. There's nothing remaining for you to do, nothing you can add. He's already defeated every enemy you have, and so stand in him. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet, and stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. Here's the last one. Because Jesus Christ is the everlasting Father, endlessly loving us, then our agenda is to enjoy him. He has won you back to himself. He is working only for your best, and that will never stop. That will last forever. And so replace the gloom in your life with light. He loves you. He's made a way for hope and peace and joy and forgiveness and assurance and a hundred more things that we could name that we're all chasing after. He's made a way for all of them. So enjoy what has been won for you. Throw a party today in your heart, if nothing else. Grab a chair and sit at the table that he has prepared for you and celebrate, celebrate, enjoy him. Are you living the agenda that these names give you today? Are you living out the name of Jesus? Because he lives then for you and now we get to follow him now we get to stand in him. Now we get to enjoy him. Let's pray. Everlasting Father, mighty God, thank you for being the hero that we needed. Thank you for putting death to death through the death of Jesus. Thank you for being a father who loves us endlessly. May we follow Jesus. May we stand in the work of Jesus. And may we enjoy what he has won for us. And it's in the name of the child born and the son given. It's in the name of the Messiah.